Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. You're listening to Deconstructive Criticism. My name is Aaron Flam. This episode's guest is Ola Westphalen, artist as well as professor of art, as well as cartoonist and comedian. We will be talking about an ongoing project of his to confront death that resonated with me and made me curious. But first I want to thank you for contributing to Deconstructive Criticism. You can support the podcast at patreon.com slash Aaron Flam via PayPal or Bitcoin and Swish. 0768-943737. 0768-943737. Me and my co-author Jens Gahnman of the book Beloved Public Service about our beloved public service are going on tour together to talk about our beloved public service. We will beat this thing with love, peace and understanding since it's obviously less of a political problem and more of an illness. We understand your plight and will be visiting Linköping on September 13, Stockholm on September 14, Uppsala on September 15th, Växjö on the 19th of September, Gothenburg on the 20th of September, Malmö on September 21st, Luleå on September 26th, Umeå on September 27th, and we will be doing the tour finale in Östersund on September 28th. Tickets can be found at aaronflam.com slash merchandise and samistatpublishing.se slash live. We will sign your books and hopefully Jens will sing a song about our beloved public service and how hard it is to say goodbye. Time to say There will also be a unique opportunity to see me, Hanif Bali and Henrik Jönsson together on stage to discuss the past and future of politics in Politics Back to the Future on August 25th in 
Täby at samistatpublishing.se slash live. That's where you find the tickets. Links to both events can also be found at aaronflam.com in the description of this episode. And a link to that can be found in the description of this episode, regardless of what platform you're using to listen to it. Olav Westfalen is an artist, a professor of art and a comedian. He has visited this podcast before when we talked about dysfunctional comedy. He was also a witness in my defense at the trial against me. I would say his testimony was integral to our victory and thus pushed Swedish freedom of speech those few inches closer to, well, freedom of speech. Uh, I don't know if Olaf Westfalen is a climate activist or making fun of climate activism in his own kind of way, but I do like the project. I believe that they are a movement who needs to accept the inevitable. As a species, we have been doing science for about 500 years. We've known we affect nature for at least 200 years. The question becomes what you do about it, and I myself is clearly in the build nuclear plants to take us to fusion plants and let's colonize space camp. It might be a hopeless endeavor, but isn't in a sense all of life's ambition to survive thus? Since either you fail and is wiped out as a species, or you evolve and become something else entirely. On a long enough timeline, that is. Because that's what I've always thought it came down to. Survival of the species, and, of course, to beat the jellyfish. You don't want to lose against a species that hasn't even bothered to develop a brain now, do you? When we meet... Olav hands me a booklet titled simply Sensitivity Training. It's from his show at the 25th Gabrovo Biennale of Humor and Satire. He knows full well this podcast's motto is Your feelings are hurting my thoughts. I'm not joking. I sell t-shirts and mugs based on that concept. You can buy them at aaronflam.com slash merchandise. But it is things like these that make me look for the joke in whatever Olaf does, and that is why I wanted to know more about his project The Palliative Turn, which seems to be about confronting not only your own mortality, but the inevitable end of your civilization. I also thought it would be a fitting start to this coming season of deconstructive criticism as Sweden prepares for elections. With those words, I present Olaf Westfalen. Enjoy. Welcome back to Deconstructive Criticism, Ola Westfalen. Oh, thank you, Aaron. Thank you so much. It's nice to have you here again. Yeah, I, 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 it's nice to see you again, especially curious why you're curious about our about the palliative turn. So that's why. Well, I could thought... you first explain what it is, the palliative turn? Okay, it's not anything yet. It's basically a proposition by a number of artists, international artists, uh, or artists from different places in the world, I should say, uh, scientists, climate scientists, uh, doctors, palliative care specialists, other kind of holistic health people. So it's a motley assembly of palliatively curious people who are proposing that it might be time for another cultural turn, you know, as opposed to the educational turn or the social turn or the linguistic turn, it could be now the palliative turn. Yes, but the word palliative, it means uh, to give someone care yeah, it comes in dying. From, it comes from a Latin word for shroud. So it's really the, the, the cloth 
that you cover over either the dead body or the dying body. So it has something to do with with care and protection and soothing and uh, mitigating suffering. Yes. And basically what you're suggesting is that instead of fighting the downfall of Western civilization, <laughs> not my words, we should give it palliative care. Okay, let me, can I step back? A yes, second. sure. Okay, so what these things happen sort of in order. I'm a cartoonist and I work together with Marcus Weimer and mostly in German speaking countries doing cartoons all the time. And it turned out that one of our fans is also the director of the German Soci Association for Palliative Medicine, mm -hmm. Dr. Oliver Meyer. And he contacted us and said they were having a big convention, an international convention in Wiesbaden in 2019 on palliative medicine and they needed a humor concept. So apparently in all their internal discussions, they had again and again come upon the idea how important humor is in their field. And he Because otherwise it, people don't want to talk to them. And he all made, they talk about is well, he, death. No, he made and, it very clear. He wasn't interested in, in hospital clowns or in comedy making about death, but in the fact that accepting a bad news from a doctor one of the things that helps you deal with it is is just a conceptual shift going away from thinking about ego and self and 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 uh, growth and improvement to okay this is these are the facts of life and now they're i'm going to be the one uh, undergoing them so so anyhow so they contacted us and marcus and i went to their convention in 2019 and for a week we did a daily little video cast in the morning and drew cartoons and had we even had a had a proposal in their science poster um, competition which made fourth space a uh, place in the in the competition even though it was completely idiotic it was about well, that's a visual thing i can uh but and so that happened and that in a way opened up this whole discussion about the palliative versus the curative when medicine fixes things it's curative. You know, you go to the doctor and say, oh, yeah, we can do that. We take out this, we, we chuck your <laughs> whatever, we chuck your uterus, we put a little bit here, it's all going to be fine. That's curative. And, and palliative is the moment when medicine says, sorry, we're not going to fix this. But, and then a world opens of, yeah, comforting, pain relief, but also uh, actually trying to understand what's going on. A kind of uh, really, there's, a, there's huge spiritual aspects and there's pleasure. You know, one of the stories that I, there were several stories that were told during this conventions that I thought were so amazing. One was about a, a woman who couldn't swallow anymore. And so the palliative care team got together to freeze, to, to in, in a medical freezer, freeze her favorite kind of scotch. So they could put little chips of scotch ice into her mouth and she could taste you know, her favorite It has taste. to be really cold. It was, a, yeah, like a medical minus 40 degrees or something, yeah. And then, and then another story, which is even more touching, was about a hospice run by Catholic nuns. Where there was a young man who was dying at age 18 or so who had never had sex. And that was a big problem for him. And then they had a huge discussion. And in the end, against a lot of their convictions, the, you know, the mother superior decided to hire a prostitute so that he could have this experience <laughs> before he died. So, so, so the longer I talked to these palliative people, the less it was about death and the more it was about life. So the nun went to hell. 
just to give this boy she, carnal pleasure on earth? I think she probably had some soul searching, some conversations with the superiors that in the end uh, found that this was the right thing to do. Well, I'm betting since it was the Catholic Church and, you know, there... There's also there, confession. She may, maybe she had to do a hell of a lot of Hail Marys after that. I, 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 I'm not so sure considering what institution she works for. Anywho. This is also to do the Catholic Church in Germany, which is basically a wing of the Social Democratic Party by now. So, and that, so you've true. never had a pedophilia scandal? Of course. Of Cardinal course. Ratzinger, he covered up Pope Benedict. He oh, covered oh, up a lot of them. That's, yeah, yeah, that's what was, I thought. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise you would be sitting here and basically saying to the world that Germany has unfuckable children. I, oh God, to be such a comedian, we're talking about serious things here. Uh, I'm sorry. No, no, I'm Germany sorry. has these scandals, and the Catholic Church has many, many shades. But they are rather, let's say, liberal, especially when it comes to to care care institutions. So it's not a it's not a monastery, but it's run by a Catholic institution. So anyway, uh, to move away from the Catholic Church yes. and back to the palliative turn, what made me so interested in in your project is mm. because, uh, well, there's this general model, Elizabeth Kibler-Ross, mm -hmm. of dealing with death, right, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. loss, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is basically there are five stages, mm -hmm. and, and those are uh, denial, anger, negotiation, sorrow, and acceptance. Mm -hmm. And they can come in whichever order and intersperse and stuff, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and this podcast has been a lot about, you know, more uh, a Dylan Thomas approach to death, a uh, rage against the dying of the light. Mm -hmm. So I thought uh, 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 maybe a bit of acceptance uh, of reality might be a, a good thing. Uh, so I wanted to hear, yeah. you know. Well, there's a, it's, it's interesting. There's a, one of the pieces that has happened in one of our exhibitions is by an American painter, Alex Kortler, who did made posters that look a lot like punk posters, like CBGB's posters. And he posted them throughout New York. And now we're having them in Berlin and in Bremen, where we have another show. And they use, uh, they play with Epicure's. A quote by Epicure. Yeah, I know. The, the, I know the, the quote. Uh, the followers of Epicure have it on. They used to have it as their grave uh, on their gravestones. It says, translated in English, it says, "I was not. I was. I am no longer. I don't care." And uh, and there's another. There's a kind of an a, uh, an accompanying quote that's often used where he really he thought like. You just said that death was a horrible abomination, a huge insult towards humanity, towards our dignity, intelligence, love, everything that's important. That it was actually intolerable. But then he also said, when I am, death is not. When death is, I am not. It's not my problem. Getting there and maybe spending 10 years in, in, a, in a terrible uh, state of physical or mental or psychological health that that's a problem but that's a life problem it's not a death problem <laughs> so, so, so so there is this this was for me this was a real interesting thing that the moment medicine turns from curative to palliative it actually turns more towards life it's less obsessed with death it's just like yeah it'll happen but what can happen until that and i mean now going back to your rather grand assertion of the end of western civilization rome fell for 500 years Yes. So let's say we have five. Some say four hundred. 
Okay, okay. Some say longer. <laughs> I, I, think it's too, I think it's too soon to tell, actually. Yes. Right. No, but let's say there are a couple hundred years. Those years, those could be, that could be a golden age. That could be amazing in terms of culture and, and understanding and human development. I mean, uh, I know this is a topic we've had conversations purely scientific about before, but the whole psychedelics revolution that's happening now that Johns Hopkins is doing very, very serious, putting yeah. very serious money behind psilocybin in, in uh, cancer-related depression, in grieving and PTSD. I think this is, this is a completely different approach to mental health and uh, because it's, it's based not on fucking with the system, but in giving the system the tools to adapt. To, to it's, it's, it's invested in plasticity rather than some kind of same with cancer treatment, which uh, which is going towards immune therapy and away from pure war on cells. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, sorry, I'm talking a lot, but but but, but what, that's why I'm here, right? Yes, but what was it in in the culture that made you decide or diagnose it as a terminal? Because I mean, as an artist, you looked at the culture, you said, "I can cure this for most of your career." But now you've come to a point. I, I never was big on art as a way of making the world a better place. I always thought if you want to make, if you want to save the world, you'll probably make it a little bit worse. You know, like there's a good, nice uh, quote by John Cage where he says, "Try to not make matters worse." That's a big, big, big. Uh, it's a sort of a doctor's oath, what, where they they promise big, first to do no harm. He was a big Buddhist, you know, so. But no, okay. I'll, Why? Let me, uh, what do you mean? He John hated Cage. people. John Cage was yeah. a Buddhist. No, he <laughs> was. He, <laughs> he was awesome. I'm joking. He was I'm, jo I'm, jo I'm joking. Four three three is one of my favorite songs yeah, ever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> exactly, especially the unplugged version. That's yes, amazing. <laughs> it is. It is. Gets better. Uh, better and so better. Um, we, we should inform the listener that if if you want to hear John Cage four three three, the unplugged version is on Spotify, so you can find it there. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, uh, so what was it that made you diagnose? Is okay. it Western culture or global culture, or is it specific to some Aboriginal culture in Central Africa? I have no idea about. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I live in this culture, so this is what I refer to. I find yes. anything else uh, would find that quite presumptuous. No, uh, okay. So this happened. Palliation became a topic. Boom. Uh, another thing happened. I had a serious cancer diagnosis, as you know, and which was kind of like a little bit on. It was quite upsetting, I would say. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's, that wouldn't be saying too much. And during that time, I had suddenly went in and out on a daily basis into uh, hospitals and, and places where they do radiation and chemo and stuff like that. And uh, yeah, it put things into perspective. Uh, the art world and the kind of rhetoric and the kind of the culture world and who we do this for. So I'm, it's quite specific to the world I live in, you know, and... and uh, we all know, but nobody likes to say it, that, that, you know, art is a barnacle on the side of finance. You know, when, when, when money is flush in the, in the financial markets, artists will be doing well. So art is always totally, it's, it's interesting. I had someone after COVID ask me, oh, was it why the, the, the handyman at, at my house, you know, the, the uh, Wachtmeister, he said, oh, it must have been tough as an artist during COVID. And I said, no. 
actually mm. not. Art is anti-cyclical, you know. Yeah. <laughs> when when you're all doing great, I probably people will get bored of what we do. Yes. <laughs> Anyhow, so so there was that experience of seeing people in such a different line of work, and they were amazing. I have to say, the people, doctors, nurses, technicians, and other patients, they they were impressive, you know. They, they, and I felt like, yeah, this, there's something real here, something that also makes a culture that is, is underestimated in the way we approach these things in, in official culture or high culture. So, yeah, and then, and then it was out of that came just basically this idea. What, and then the realization that most of art, most of contemporary art implicitly or more often explicitly claims to make the world a better place. It's almost the second sentence is, I'm doing this and by this I'm raising awareness. The fact that raising awareness has not prevented the horrors of the 20th century, because that was what Enlightenment got us. And Enlightenment got us Stalin and Hitler. Enlightenment gone wrong, you can always argue and da-da-da-da, and you can say we're not yet done yet with that. But this sole idea of raising awareness has not been the magic pill. Uh, or so, so, so I realized, ah, really, artists have this curative assumption about what they do. And if they don't have it, or at least pretend to have it, uh, it's very hard to get funding. It's very hard to, to be written about and so on. Which is, it's interesting, you know, we've do, done this project, The Palliative Turn, now it's in its third year. We've done several shows at Kunstwerke, at different places in Germany. It's funded, initially it was funded through Konstantin in Sweden. The initial funding to get this together, to do a conference around it, to do the first big exhibition came from Sweden. No uh, interest in the Swedish art world. Individuals, yes, a lot. And there's a number of Swedish artists involved. But it's interesting that you're, uh, you cynical bastard that you are, would be the first one to ask to speak about this. <laughs> well, I found it... Uh, um... I found it a different but still productive way to handle what's going on. Yeah, it's a proposition basically for culture. I'm not saying stop feeding babies. I'm not saying stop doing cancer research or stop trying to, you know, address in inequity or something. But I'm saying stop pretending to fix the world with rhetoric that's both old and un unproven and basically simply just conventional and very often part of a power narrative and so on. And, and if you, what, what would happen if, if we shifted to this palliative mindset, which, rather than, which doesn't want to fix the world, but wants to squeeze as much in terms of understanding, beauty, pleasure, whiskey, sex, but also, uh, uh, you know, Epicurean or stoic, stoic peacefulness out of whatever time we have, let it be, you know. Oh, another aspect you asked, how did I get here, is of course that for 10 years I've been working with climate scientists, especially one of them, Dr. Keith Larson, who's uh, in the Swedish Polar Research Station up in Abisko and also works with the Climate Impact Research Center in Umeå. He's the new head. And we've been doing, we've been doing, for over 10 years, we've been going up there with artists, art students, and meeting the scientists and their rhetoric really changed. Initially, we were more like, oh, come on, don't break anything, you know? Yeah, you can be here, but please don't get in our way. And then the, the longer this conversation or dialogue proceeded, the more often they would say like, well, could you maybe help us? You know, we have the scientific facts. We have the models, we have the evidence right here. Abusco is very important in the whole climate modeling because they have the longest 
unbroken climate record done with the same instruments at the same place. So it's a very scientifically a very strong argument that they're making. And so they say, we know all this and we know certain things need to happen. Mm-hmm. They're not desperate. They say, yeah, if, if we do something, things can work out just fine, mm-hmm. <laughs> but nobody's doing it. It goes in the other direction. And so then they come to artists and say, maybe it's about narrative. Maybe it's about communication. Maybe it's about different graphics. So, so it's, 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 be, it's becoming this, it's been this evolving narrative. And the interesting thing in that conversation is, of course, that if you speak to climate scientists, everything, including Greta, is just behind the curve. You know, we, we're way beyond that. We're in a much, much more dire situation, which also must not be, I mean, in a palliative sense. So, yeah, so we're in a dire situation. Let's make the best of it. (laughs) But, I mean, there's this very simple, which I always think brings it home very easily. It's like, if we stop using fossil fuel now, this second, no oil, no gas, no anything else that burns wood, peat, people, uh, no... um, no cow is farting anymore. We put no greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. It would still take a guaranteed between 100 and 400,000 years for the Earth climate to come back to pre-industrial. So th- it's not happening. We are going to live in a hotter world, increasingly so. And the question is much more, just like a patient in the palliative ward, the question is much more, how do I adapt to this? How do I, what kind of society can survive, for example, a much, much tougher natural climate. Well, Sweden could, if uh, it was warmer. Sweden could maybe in terms of a geographic location, unless you have some big shifts in the, in the, in the ocean currents, because then we might have an ice age here. You remember the, what was that, that disaster movie? Ice Age? No, there was one movie that was about climate destruction where suddenly the northern hemisphere was covered in ice again. Volcano, the coast is toast? There's many of them. <laughs> I think this was the day after or something like okay. that. Right. Whatever. Um, but I mean, so, so Sweden might be lucky in terms of its geographic location. I don't think it's lucky in terms of its societal setup because this would be a world where you would have to deal with conflict in very flexible ways. I think you'd have, to, you'd have a huge influx of people with different religions, different belief systems, different cultural habits, different family structures. And you would have to be able to see that and deal with it and not just try to make it go away or try to insist that we're all some kind of beautiful upper middle class liberal fantasy. You know, you would have to deal with real conflict, I think, just like a palliative patient has to deal with real pain. So, 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 so these different aspects, you, my own experience, the palliative conference and working with the climate scientists, and then also seeing a lot of climate art that still says, we need to wake up the people. They need to know. It's like, they all know. They all know, <laughs> especially the military, especially the big corporations. They all know. I mean, this is, I mean, I know Sloterdijk has been disgraced. Uh, Peter Sloterdijk, the German philosopher. He's been disgraced but because he's, he's done a, written a bunch of pretty dumb things in his later years. But uh, he wrote a great book in the 80s, uh, The Critique of Cynical Reason, where he goes back to the cynics, to the original cynics in Greece. And so My type. One, one, yeah, you, our, our tribe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Sorry, sorry, I, I didn't. <laughs> no, but comedians. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Comedians, people who, who, who embrace absurdity, who, who question reason when it's applied in a 
and an unreason when and it's and needed. An unreason when it's mechanical too. Yeah. yeah. And and one of the things that was really like a like a light bulb going up for me when I read it was his. He had this concept of um, enlightened false consciousness. You know, Marxism and, and enlightenment, and then Marxism most prominently were based on the idea that being follows consciousness. Yeah. If if you enlighten people, if they understand the wrongs of the world, it will change because their consciousness has changed. And, and Sloterdijk said, like, look, we have proof that people can know. They know about injustice. They know about suffering. They know about amorality. And they just chug on. So they absolutely... So, so this, the, the basic pre- idealist precept under, underneath both enlightenment and, uh, and modernism was that knowledge will free us and will make... Knowledge just makes us compartmentalize better. It's like, yeah, it's really horrible what's happening in, in Ukraine. You know? Yeah. Uh, I got it. I actually have a squash <laughs> appointment in half yeah. an hour. So, so, so um, now I have been talking a lot. Yes, but that's the point of, 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 a, of, of, of making a podcast. Yeah, yeah, you can edit it all. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. But so, so these things, in a way, come together to, to say, like, what if we gave up that pretension? Like, okay, this whole idea of giving voice, you know, big thing in the art world, giving voice. Now, first of all, what kind of voice? Is it like a deep, sonorous voice? Is it like, you know, nobody talks about it because it's not free. You know, giving voice usually means that in a big uh, biennial, there's a corner for the indigenous people. Yeah, you know that's a certain kind of voice that you, you can't do. And also, you never ask them if they wanted voice from you. They no. couldn't answer because they don't have voice. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, this whole—I mean, there are so many just idealistic and I think s- simply condescending assumptions built into the model of art as a as an educational communication tool. And I think art is a, is a way of dealing with the things we don't understand, of dealing with mystery and and sadness and horrors but dealing with the things it's not a, a tool a good tool to explain the world and fix a couple of social problems really bad tool for that because also and also let's face it in northern europe you could say no it's the state it's the state but still it's funded by people who have other kinds of interests in the us it's very obviously the financial uh, elite that funds the art world down to the museums down to the non-profit spaces because they all need donations and they all dance to their to their tune you know it's very very obvious i mean the whole the whole system that you had that there was a through museums like non-profit institutions and criticism that there was a neutral sort of independent or maybe neutral arbiter of 
let's say, criteria and, and what's going on, that's gone. You know, writers write if they get paid. Museums show what the board buys, and they usually tell them to buy stuff that they collect anyway to beef up the value. So, so th this whole, it's really not, it's not a, a place uh, that's equipped to do United Nations work. Still, if you look at the big international shows this year, they're all really uh, uh, still pushing that argument. And I think it'll, it'll, it'll. They're trying to save the world with art. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, can can you read the 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 oh. the, the, the what, what do you call it? Is it is it a program? Is well, it a you pamphlet? Can, is it a uh, you can proclamation? Go to, you can go to palliativeturn.org. That's the website for this project, and it's growing right now because we're doing a lot of new things. So it's a little behind behind the development, but on it, under APT Association for the Palliative Turn Manifesto, I'm clicking on it now, and yes, your internet works. And there's a beautifully designed flyer, and that's a yeah, it's a kind of a statement that's co-written. So in 2020, we got together after if if it, receiving, which I'm very very grateful for, and which is an argument for cultural funding that's decided by artists, because at Konstanz Nemden, there's artists sitting, mm -hmm. largely still artists deciding on which projects get funded. So so they so I'm not against. Uh, uh, public funding, but I think it's very important to see how, you know, Sweden is especially interesting because from Lena Adelson, whatever her name was, Lili Roth, yeah, who wanted to basically turn artists into, into entrepreneurs, which is quite cynical if you <laughs> look at the economy of the thing, uh, uh, to, to um, Alice Bakunke, who said, uh, anything I spend on culture has to profit democracy. You've had, you've had uh, a series of, of culture ministers who basically had no respect for art as its own thing. It was either just a job or it was a, a edu tool. Pu public education and, yeah. and uh, idea propaganda. Yeah. And so, so I think, I think there, is, um, there is this problem culturally in Sweden and in many other places too, but now I live here. Uh, but in all fairness, whenever artists get to decide on funding, there is hope because they, I mean, so look, this is not, this whole project is not against art. I love art, and I think there's nothing more interesting than sitting in a studio with an artist and looking at a painting that maybe at a quick uh, viewing I would have found boring or formal, and then they talk about it, and you realize how much uh, love and attention and skill and, 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 and sensitivity is invested in that stupid colorful piece of cloth, you know? Mm. So I think there is, that is real, and that is also going to survive whatever whatever moment we have culturally. But so, 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 so I'm just to make that sure, this is not an argument against art. It's not an argument against artists or against the experience of art or the making of art, but it's more the broader culture and how it tries to rein these things in, into some idea of communicating good policy or good morality, really. Okay, I will read you the APT manifesto, jointly written by about 12 people from fields as different as palliative care, comedy, John Luke Roberts, a great British comedian, uh, natural healing, science studies, and so on, science, uh, climate studies, and so on. Okay. For immediate release. A call for the palliative turn. 
This culture is coming to an end. This society is coming to an end. This economy is coming to an end. Your body is coming to an end. They will either transform beyond recognition or perish. Business as usual has nothing to offer anymore. Ask yourself, what are the real-world effects of your work and actions? Are you just trying to appear virtuous? Do you want to be on the right side of history? Are you trying to carve a living out of your criticality? That too is business as usual. It must come to an end. Embrace instead the end of everything as we know it. Do it with generosity, kindness, and humor. The art of the palliative turn follows the principles of palliative care and medicine. It acknowledges the existence of the end and plans for it. It affirms life and regards dying as a normal and necessary process. It attends to neither hasten nor postpone the end. It mitigates suffering, gives pleasure, generates joy wherever possible. It accompanies a dying person, culture, or belief system on their final stretch and shares the horrors of darkness with them. But it also shares intensity, beauty, and excitement, the acute awareness of life which accompanies death. It is empathetic and communicative. It is collaborative and non-hierarchical. It is multidisciplinary and multi-perspectival. It acts and speaks in good faith. The art of the palliative turn asks, how would you like to go? Become an active part of the palliative turn, www.palliativeturn.org, info at palliativeturn.org. I think it's very nice. And I think uh, I was uh, intensely drawn to it because uh, the manifesto states that you shouldn't make a living out of your criticality, which is exactly what I do which it does uh, it then says is business as usual it has to come to an end and i guess it has to sooner or later but no, i'm not but dead you're, yet you're a, you're a special case you're you're a cynic you know you are critical of let's say mainstream criticality i mean when i think when we use criticality here we still mean people who basically push the old kind of idealist uh, enlightenment argument of fixing the world through proper morality you're not that you're 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 like amoral and immoral i I am well i'm pretty amoral i have my own morality of course but i when it comes i i'm uh, when i explain to myself what i do is that i'm against things i mean a lot of people like for instance greta thunberg she's for things but i'm against things so that's what i do Uh, so if you are you know going to say that I need to start preparing for and accepting the death of our culture, I would probably, out of pure spite, say rage against the dying of the light. No. But, um, but I, do, I do like this, because um, I see 
certain what I call macros uh, in in the collective unconscious mm. uh, that seems to indicate some sort of cultural shift and it hasn't registered in all the institutions yet I think it's I mean this this it's fucking coming down are you crazy I mean how else because every, I mean we know in terms of energy and all these things there's things we can do in 1979 when they really knew what was going on it would have been a no-brainer you know, the oil companies. At some point, Exxon put to aside $22 million, and the idea was we will transfer, transform ourselves into the spearhead of, of renewable energy. And they thought for $22 million they could do that. They could shift from oil to renewables, and, be, and they just didn't do it because the White House changed direction. They, uh, because when, when Bush the Elder came to power, a little later, of course, the... the um, he was a conservative, but also in terms of conserving things. So he was very much for the natural parks and for nature conservancy. He was a value conservative. And so there was a real moment when they when they He was said, a real conservationist. No, a conservationist and a conservative, yeah. yeah. So there was this moment when they were ready to embrace a kind of a different energy policy. And but there's energy, a great... Buchanan was against it. And he just I, killed I, it. I, I drove through Germany this summer. Yeah. yeah. And there's wind... Uh, power plants yeah. like as far as the eye can see in every single direction i dr drove out the barn from north to south yeah so it was pretty much you know all of it yeah. and all i could see were these windmills oh. and at the same time i know only 10 percent of germany's uh, need for electricity oh. comes from wind yeah. so i mean the argument that there's no that there's not going to be space enough for windmills is accurate, I think. Beyond my pay grade, but <laughs> look at this. Uh, there's one of these huge uh, solar collector facilities, I think in the south of Spain, there's another one in the south, southern US. Each of them creates so much energy. Six of these units would cover the entire energy need of the entire of, of humanity as it is now. Problem is, of course, how do you get it to them? So it's not as easy as that. I'm saying it's, it's a lot more complicated there, but I think combined renew, of course, renewable is, is, is doable. Renewable is doable. If, if the political will was there, you know, I mean, I mean, nuclear power was funded and, and subsidized to the, to the gills and never quite kind of cashed out. I mean, well, these things, but okay, above my pay grade. But this, wait, wait. Uh, this is here's a nice little, nice little uh, titbit. Oh, I have two real titbits that I think guess the energy efficiency of photosynthesis compared to your normal solar collector you get at Bauhaus or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like, like the I relation. have no idea. Photosynthesis is only in the thirty to forty percent. Effectivity of a, of the cheapest solar panel, really? Yeah. So we're better than nature <laughs> on on that little count. We're we're pretty fucking amazing good, yeah. Huh? And then the and here's see, an, and here's this, another this one. Is, here's a, see, this is why nature will lose against us. <laughs> this is exactly well, why they will well, lose because we fucking kick no, ass. No, That's the why. The point is, we're not better than nature. We're part of nature. We are. That we're, we're part that, of nature now. 
Uh, but well, nature will nature do. will fucking suffer because of it. No, no, we're something nature does to itself. Maybe to prepare the ground for plastic eating microbes or something like that. But here's another really good tidbit. It doesn't really fit, but it's such a nice one because I just heard it from my climate scientist friends. Guess the carbon footprint of one flight of Jeff Bezos's space adventure. And, and we're not talking going to Mars or Moon. We're talking taking a bunch of billionaires up for five minutes of to do, you know, uh, uh, zero gravity yeah. selfies. Yes. Yeah. And going, ooh. Yeah. Yeah. It is uh, one flight is the carbon footprint of the entire car traffic of the entire United States in one year. So the level, this is very interesting, I think, that when it comes to climate, Responsibility is very unevenly. I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, not the responsibility, but but basically the, the effects or who creates the effects is very unevenly distributed. But shame and guilt is democratically distributed. You, know, you should feel bad for taking a car to your summer house. Well, I personally, we I personally don't agree because I think spacefaring is where we need to go if we want to keep, you know, producing children and having stuff. Wow, you're more of a pessimist than me. No, I think Earth is pretty amazing. I want to stay. <laughs> it's a, it, it, it is a good spaceship, but it has no steering. If you think of the speeds we're actually hurling through the universe no, in, like no. 30,000 kilometers per second or whatever it is, mm. uh, someone should really, really try to steer. Yeah. Yeah. I try sometimes. Yeah, but, but you're more of an ex accept this, this ridiculous predicament. <laughs> yeah. Because I think, I think. What, what we can know is we are here because of uh, randomness and circumstance. A, 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 piece of, a, a small piece of microbe clinging to a rock in space. Oh, that's one way of seeing it. Yeah. I thought well, you could also say we're, we're just some kind of weird, weird manifestation of, of energy and matter. That uh, you know, but hey, uh, here's another thing. We talk, We started talking about how, how, and why I think that the, the way things are will not necessarily survive. And one thing is they're already changing. Yes. I mean, I think I think it's 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 insane if you think about the kind of discussions we've had culturally and the and in the art world that were really about the narcissism of small difference. You know, I mean, it's tiny little problems of tonality, problems of, of wording and so on. And then something like Putin happens. And you go like, oh, yeah. that's, that's the range. That's actually the range of experience and action that we should be thinking of. And instead of having, I mean, I, I teach at an academy and these places are famously incestuous and, and small and provincial. I mean, the things people get excited about uh, when, when there's actually something really out there. And so I think that, and that may be what you mean by the end of Western civilization, that I think we, we really don't address well, I think, fundamentals very much. And we address... I, I, I think uh, 68 with all the hallucinogens and relativism and neo... I, 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 I would like to call it neo-hedonism or mm. hedonism mm. has uh, undone Western civilization which was based pretty much on hierarchies, responsibility, 
you know, mm. self-sacrifice uh, and and, st- and those ideals, mm. uh, which were, you know, where we had to rein in our baser impulses for the greater good or whatever. Mm. And uh, you, uh, you see what's going on and you've uh, made it into an art project where you try to get the participants in this culture to accept the un- inevitable end. I do a podcast where I rage against the dying of the light and Putin, well, uh, he doesn't seem to be uh, very palliative. No. No. (laughs) It looks like he's still getting a lot of a lot of pharmaceutics. (laughs) I don't know. Above my pay grade. Uh, (laughs) But he has sensed weakness too. Of course, of course. And I think... And China is sensing weakness. So... Uh, even if we die, other cultures will not die, and they might be relatively worse than ours. I mean, I think that that's, of course, the kind of the, the sort of self hatred that we're experiencing right now in our cultures is is interesting when you look at alternatives. You know, because yes. I think at least this is a culture where self criticism is built in, yeah, and is allowed, and is even to some level understood to be good. You know, for not necessarily in Sweden, but yeah. yes. So, so I, yeah, yeah, no, I, I agree, but I also feel like that it's also, you know, we're talking about large, large kind of uh, planetary. Right now, we were talking about kind of large planetary processes, and on that level, it doesn't matter if China grabs the scepter and and has a has a century of glory the way they're going. They'll have worse problems. They didn't even have their own energy, you know. Uh, uh, and and the same with Putin. I mean, I mean, this is these are. I think these are not. All of these are not sustainable models because I think all of them ultimately built on some 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 version of of fear as a base motivator of everything, and uh, and uh, and on crass materialism. And that's I think where the West lost its way. That it wasn't also. It wasn't just about you know, discipline and hierarchy. And oh, it was also about freedom and there, individualism. There were, there were both ideal and spiritual values, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at romanticism, which is largely a departure from, let's say, organized religion, there was still, uh, I mean, that moment of idealism and romanticism was, was imbued with spirituality and a yeah. sense of belonging to nature and so on. Everything can be can be twisted, you know. You can take romanticism and, and turn it into... Into the Hitler Youth, <laughs> yes, <laughs> so, and they did, and they did, and it and it worked for a while, yeah. Yes. So, so I'm not saying that. <clears throat> so I think, yeah. So so basically, it was just this proposition. Like, what if? What if we just said, uh, let's look at this. Let's get away from this idea of fixing the world because we ha- seem to be doing more of the same, of what didn't work, and there seems to be no, no uh, review. Uh, in, in 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 cultural work, there's no no um, kind of uh, reviewing uh, authority or, or or even capacity where people say, okay, so you did this project to address these ills. How did it go? Yes, you know, are the ills less yes. now? That's that's considered completely because Gerda disp- is still striking every Friday. I go there too. I go on Fridays. Yeah, Bye. but and the correlation seems yeah. to be. But that's that's also that's. Do a you little, go on Fridays, really? I do go quite. You should come. It's nice. No, I don't. I I I I I, I see us in quite a different way than Greta yeah. does. I think, yeah. and I think it's uh, 
very anthropocentric to think we can fix this. That I totally agree with. I mean, one of the core arguments of, of our whole thing was that the, the mere idea that we should fix this, either through enlightenment or through techno fixes or through, through activism, is an example of exactly the kind of hubris that got us here. Yeah. So for me, going to I go to Artists for Future. We are in front of the Prime Minister's residence, and they first him now her always wave and say hi. We had nice chats. Uh, Levin liked dogs because my friend Lars uh, uh, <laughs> Arenius brought his dog, and so we had long. So that to me is much more of uh, on the on the most on the simplest level some idea of building a communal structure where people who are concerned can come and talk and bring a thermos of tea. I don't think of it as a, as a, a political act. I think of it as a, as a, as a palliative term. Well, as, or, or maybe as a, as a, as a communal or a social act. Yeah. Hmm. And, and, and maybe it, there is also, it's just pointing out, look, these are not, we're not, uh, uh, uh I don't know, some kind of scary. I mean, I think, uh, extinction rebellion, I have issues with. Because I think it's it's so, so cheesy, it's in such bad taste. But oh, whatever, uh, that's when I <laughs> elitist. <laughs> Anyhow, but so it's not that when you know, it's like, just look, look. There's normal people. There's people with families and people with dogs, and they're concerned. And that's good for a politician to see on their way to work and on their way home, right? Yes, once a week. But there are other ills in society that needs to be addressed as well. Yeah, yeah. And nobody can do everything. But um, yes, well. Are you can? <laughs> no, no, well, no, really, there are certain but, subject matters that I haven't delved into yet. No, that should be on my radar, but they're just not because I'm not that interested. Mm. But this one was. Mm. No, so so the are we are we coming to an end? Yes, I think so. Yeah, so I can just say basically what we've done is met in this odd group of people, a lot of them artists, did some shows that looked a lot like art shows, but also had things in it. For example. Uh, curves from uh, climate research hung like artworks, but they weren't. They were comparing, you know, the Earth breathing to individual EKGs or something like that, ECGs. I'm sorry. And uh, and then we also had another show which is on now in Bremen and uh, some performance uh, event at Kunstwerke in Berlin. So it's kind of going on, and it's very unclear what it'll become. Maybe it'll stay as such a kind of proposition like or maybe a, it will become its antithesis no i mean we've we've resisted any we have a website <laughs> we've resisted any kind of formal structure so far uh and it may it may just die which is okay right it has to it has to yes. <laughs> <laughs> well thank you for coming all sure. <laughs> hey i i would have loved to talk to you a little more but that's uh, probably another context about uh you're standing up to the Berietskaps Museet. Uh, well, <clears throat> we will at some point. Because oh, yes. I think, I, as, I, as I mentioned earlier, pre-recording, I think that was really important for artists, what you did there. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And Ooh. thank you for coming. Sure. Yeah. Pleasure. You have listened to Deconstructive Criticism. This episode's guest was Ola Westfalen, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash Aaron Flam via PayPal or Bitcoin and Swish 0768 0768-943737. 0768-943737. 
Me and my co-author Jens Gahnman of the book Beloved Public Service about our beloved public service are going on tour together to talk about our beloved public service. We will beat this thing with love, peace and understanding since it's obviously less of a political problem and more of an illness. We understand your plight and will be visiting Linköping on September 13, Stockholm on September 14, Uppsala on September 15th, uh, Växjö on the 19th of September, Gothenburg on the 20th of September, Malmö on <clears throat> September 21st, Luleå on September 26th, Umeå on September 27th, and we will be doing the tour finale in Östersund on September 28th. Tickets can be found at aaronflam.com slash merchandise and samistatpublishing.se slash live. We will sign your books and hopefully Jens will sing a song about our beloved public service and how hard it is to say goodbye. There will also be a unique opportunity to see me, Hanif Bali and Henrik Jonsson together on stage to discuss the past and future of politics in Politics Back to the Future on August 25th in Tabby at samistatpublishing.se slash live. That's where you find the tickets. Links to both events can also be found at aaronflam.com in the description of this episode. And a link to that can be found in the description of this episode, regardless of what platform you're using to listen to it. I am Aaron Flam. You can follow me on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram until next time, which is in just a few days. Have a good unit of time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.